Those of you who've not seen me before, I'm Jo. You may be feeling around about now, you may be thinking, oh gosh, we're on to preach number three. <laughs> um, but you know, I was thinking, in the England game tonight, if we score two goals, we're not going to be sad if we score a third, right? So think of it like that. <laughs> Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I wasn't one for knowing many Bible verses when I was growing up. I certainly wasn't one for memorizing many Bible verses. There's some, probably some youth at the back earlier who were better than me. But this one, this one really stuck in my head. It kind of got lodged somewhere in my heart. And some, it's, it kind of came back to me this week as, as I was thinking about um, what George was preaching about last week. George kicked us off in this series called Stay Put, which really is our attempt to do just that. It's our attempt to linger a little bit longer in, um, well, something that Amy kicked us off with at the beginning of um, September last year in a dream that she had um, about really God teaching her and teaching us as a church what it means to depend on God, what it means to linger a bit longer than we perhaps naturally want to. We want to, as we're coming out of lockdown, we may be tempted to just go all guns blazing and actually, there's this opportunity we have this summer, George referred to the Festival of Booths, which we read about in the Old Testament last week, this opportunity to, um, to hang out in the, um, really just actually get into grips with depending on God, not depending on ourselves. And that's what the Israelites had to remember in the Festival of Booths. They had to remember what actually it meant to, to live in the wilderness, to depend on God for everything, even when we might exit the wilderness and have um, all the things that we might need ourselves. What does it look like to remember? And as I was thinking about this this week, this verse just came back to me because actually as a, as a young kid, as a, as a teenager growing up, I kind of knew that this verse was going to be important in my life. I knew that to trust in the Lord, well, let's work backwards. I mean, it, it ends with, and he will make your path straight. I mean, that's a pretty good promise, right? So as a young person, I was thinking, well, great, okay. So there's got to be a formula to this. So I want straight paths in my life. I want to be able to, to live in a way that um, is fruitful and is a good life. So how do I do that? Well, the way I do that is to trust in the Lord, Okay, so that's the formula, but it's a bit cryptic, isn't it? You know, we're left thinking, well, what does it look like to trust in the Lord? What does it look like to depend on God? And this is where we're tracking with over the next few weeks. We're, we're wanting to try and sort of spend some time actually pulling apart what does that mean for each one of us? I was looking for a formula in that moment, and if you're anything like me, and you might not be, you might be much better than me, but I definitely think, I, I go to think, okay, what, what, do, what happens in the Bible? in this, um, what are the formulas that we can sort of pull out in scripture that can help us see what it looks like to depend on God? And, and this week, we're particularly looking at what it looks like to depend on God in decisions. What does it look like to, to make those choices in our lives in complete dependence on God? And, and those two things for me, depending on God and making decisions, sometimes they sort of run in parallel tracks. 
I don't know whether it's just me, but when, you, when I'm making a decision, there's an activity. It's like, a, okay, I've got to make a choice. I've got to be the answer here. I've got to figure out what is needed. And yet, depending on God, maybe it doesn't look like that in my head. So what does it look like to, to, to converge these two things? Making decisions and depending on God. Well, if we're looking in the Bible, we've got a few different examples to draw from. We might want to start with um, a few wise men. They um, made a decision based on a dream that they had. You might think, oh, that's what I go to. I have a dream or a prophetic word. There was also Paul in the New Testament who had a dream um, about a Macedonian man asking him to come and minister to um, his people. So he went to Macedonia. That's how he made a decision. So dream or prophetic word, that might be your go-to one. But then also in Acts, there's this strange moment when the disciples decide to draw lots. Pick a straw, any straw, which one will it be? That's how they made a decision, to how to replace Judas as one of the disciples. That's a strange, strange decision to make. So we've got dreams, prophetic words, random things that just we just decide to do. And then... Actually, beyond that point, we, we, kind of, we, we can be in Proverbs like we are today. Now it says in, in Proverbs 12, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 28, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Perhaps we're called to forego our own autonomy and just listen to what everybody else says. But then in Proverbs 2, it says, for the Lord alone gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Maybe we're just called to listen to God. Peter tells us to live a quiet life in 1 Peter. Maybe that's for some of you who don't like making decisions, who like to just keep things the way they are. They don't like to ruffle any feathers. But then in a few, you know, around the same story, Paul seemed to make a million decisions a minute and ruffled every feather that he could find. The Bible as we look at it, as we sort of filter through the different decisions that are made, shows us that there are a million different examples of how to make godly decisions. There's no one way, but we so want there to be a formula, don't we? We so want there to be this way that we can say, okay, when I have a decision to make, this is how I do it with God. This is how I depend on God in making decisions. And it's because we are desperate for control, aren't we? We're so desperate to be able to control our paths, our destiny. Control can manifest in lots of different ways. For some of us, it will be in over-planning, over-preparing. That's probably where I sit. For others of us, it will be on putting things off, on procrastination. That's another way that we control things as well. Whichever way, they're both both forms of control because there's an inherent self-reliance in both of them. And I'm seeing this kind of control manifest in my very self-willed little boy called Joshua. He's two at the moment. And if anyone, you've been even close to a toddler in recent times, you will know that toddlers like to be in control. They like to know that they are the ones that are making decisions. This might you know, give you some indication of the kind of decisions they want to make. They're not always rational. 
But this is, this is what I'm dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis at the moment. And one of the key tips that toddler gurus give you uh, at this stage in their lives is when, they want to, when you're having a bit of a problem with a toddler, give them two choices. Make sure both of those choices you're fine with them choosing. But they think that they're making the decision. To be blunt, you're tricking them into thinking they've got a decision to make. They've got a choice, and therefore they're in control, and they're happy. It does work. I will swear by it. I think sometimes, as Christians, we can think of God in this way. We can think of God as this sort of cosmic parent that's sort of giving us a tokenistic decision. Sort of at best, he's humoring us. At worst, he's testing us. Will you pick the red wire or the green wire? Will you find God's perfect will for your life? Will you make the right call? We tie ourselves in knots, and before we know it, we actually find that the process of making a decision with God, of depending on God in our decisions, actually distances us from our relationship with God. We start to shift our perspective of who God is as a result. See, if we, if we see our decisions as, as detached from our relationship with God, we will always see them as a way of proving ourselves to him. And it will forever feel like we're walking this sort of tightrope that we could fall off at any moment. I remember this key decision in my life when I was 18. I had the classic decision, what do I do? Do I go to uni? Do I have a gap year? What do I, you know, what's the next thing in my life? And I was, as a planner, I was all lined up. I had my ducks in a row. I was going to uni. I'd found this incredible place near the sea. I loved it. I loved the course, loved everything. Had the grades I needed. Tick, 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 tick. And then a month before I was meant to go, the, the university that I was going to turned around and closed the department that I was meant to go to. And I had no plan B. I had no money, had no real, no real options, and I was lost. And you know, I was trying to learn what it meant to trust in the Lord at this point in my life as an 18-year-old, and I honestly had no clue. I found myself at this Christian conference that summer and um, bumped into my godparents who lead a church in Sheffield, and they said, oh, come on, come on this gap year with us. You know, had nowhere to live, no money, no you know, job, da-da-da. Um, and I, I just, I, I talked to anyone who'd listen. I sort of got as much advice as I could, like, what should I do? Should I do this gap year? Should I, should I travel the world? Should I go to a million other universities? So many options, there are so many options. I found myself in this seminar, and it was, I think it was about spiritual warfare of all things, and I, I wasn't really listening. I sort of went up to the front at the end for ministry because I, I just knew I needed prayer. And I just stood there, and I just cried out to God. I was sort of at the end of myself by this point. I just cried out to God, Jesus, I just want to follow you. Will you lead me? And I, I just heard this whisper in my ear. It was a very distinctive voice. I can remember it. Uh, to this day, I see a picture of a passport. God has stamped it and says, just go. And I was so surprised at this point in my life. I hadn't had much experience of prophetic words at that point in my life. I shot, I sort of shot around to see who'd said it because I wanted to say that's so relevant. And there was no one there. There was no one there at all. And they were either, I still don't know to this day whether they were my angel or a very quick walker. But it didn't really matter because it was what I needed to hear. 
And I went off to Sheffield, had a great year. It was key in my life. But was the key thing that I went to Sheffield specifically? In hindsight, I'm not sure it was really. I think God could have done a whole lot of things with me in a whole lot of different places. I think the key thing for me in that moment was that I said, Jesus, I've decided to follow you. I had remembered in that moment, thank the Lord, I'd remembered that my primary calling had already been marked out for me. I'd already made the decision that was going to define every other decision I made. And everything else, all the other decisions that come, come after, it's all about working it out with him. That's the point. It's all about doing it with him. It becomes far less about me trying to get things right and trying to squeeze the right answer out and, and try and sort of get God to, to tell me the right answer and far more about me loving him. And we see this is where in this passage this morning in um, John's gospel, we see this beautiful encounter between Peter and Jesus. Right at the end of Jesus' time on earth, he's, he's risen again. He's, he's walking with his friends. And you see, before this point, Peter had three decisions to make. He's remembered for them. Peter's denials of Jesus. He says three times that he didn't know Jesus. At the moment, Jesus needed him the most. So there's a lot of shame in this moment for Peter. Let's not forget that. Peter had made three decisions, and Jesus gives him the opportunity to make three different ones. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? The tightrope that Peter thought he was walking, Jesus just took away. It was swallowed up in Jesus' love for him and his forgiveness. And then we have this strange thing, that, this strange response of Jesus when Peter says, yeah, Lord, I do love you. You know I love you. Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. He gives him a job to do. Jesus invites Peter into this partnership, this walking with Jesus that has to be rooted ultimately in his love for Jesus. It's why he asked him those questions. It's why those questions and the answers Peter gives are critical for what comes next. And then we have this strange verse that comes after. If you can get that next slide up. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. This strange moment where Jesus talks about the fact that Peter's going to have to become a martyr. He's going to have to make the ultimate decision of what it looks like to follow Jesus. You see, his love for Jesus was the only thing that was going to get him to that place. He was never going to, never going to get, him, get himself there in his own strength, in his own oh, squeezing it out. It needed to be his love for Jesus that actually could lead him to a point where he could make the kind of decisions that disciples of Jesus need to make. If you're sat there this morning thinking, oh, I, this isn't really that relevant to me. I've kind of got everything sorted and, you know, it's, I've kind of got my life together. You know, if you fully surrender your life to Jesus, he will ask you things 
He'll ask you to make the kind of choices that you cannot make in your own strength. I loved what George said last week. If the dreams you have for your life are possible without God, they're not big enough. It's good news this morning because actually your life could be a lot bigger as you leave this room than when you entered in. Because actually it's all about whether we're able to, to, to offer Jesus, the king of the universe, our lives. Because he can completely blow your expectations. He can completely blow them open. But we can't sustain those kind of decisions in our own strength. An ancient theologian called Meister Eckhart wrote these words. There are plenty to follow our Lord halfway, but not the other half. They will give up possessions, friends, honors, but if it touches them too closely to disown, but it touches them, sorry, too closely to disown themselves. And a writer reflecting on this quote says this, Thomas Kelly, but when such a commitment comes in a human life, God breaks through, miracles are wrought, world-renewing divine force are released, history changes. There is nothing more important now than to have the human race endowed with just such committed lives. It's that that's on the line. We are the church of God. No one else is going to do your part for you. No one else can make the decisions that God has put in front of you to make. Our primary decision is have we decided to follow Jesus? And if your answer is yes to that question, it defines every other decision you make. Your love for Jesus is enough to make the decisions that are impossible without him. I cannot, in good faith, stand up here this morning and say there is a lovely, neat five-point formula that I can give you to make the next big decision that you have to make. Love takes commitment. It takes continual communion in God's presence. We're going to spend some time next week looking at what it means to depend on God in prayer. And that's really key to this. What does it look like to, to build trust in your relationship with God? Because, you know, for me, it, it looks like those little moments where I could choose to sit in anxiety and try and figure it out myself. Try, I'm a strategist, so I love to strategize my way out of a situation. And I can feel my blood pressure rising as I do that, as I get more anxious, as I rely more on myself. Often it's just those little moments where I just choose, okay, Jesus, what's your opinion here? Holy Spirit, come and speak into this moment. But there's a risk, because so often those moments, it means leaving space for God to move. And that's really risky for us. We so want to be in control that we so quickly claw it back and say, okay, right, no, this is, this is what I'm going to do. The invitation this morning is to, to let go. To let God fill the space. 
You might be in one of those decisions right now. You might not be. But if you are, if you're tempted to try and strategize your way out of it, to try and rush to a decision that you can make in your own strength, I just encourage you to, to wait. Not wait in emptiness, but wait in the presence of the Lord. Because he wants, he wants to speak. And it might not be in the, the perfect sort of um, nice plan that would make you feel better. But it will bring you freedom. I have this little sort of mantra that I say to myself when I'm struggling to let go of control. I just whisper under my breath, you are God and I am not. You are God and I am not. And I just say that over and over until the message goes from my head to my heart. You are God and I am not. You see, the freedom that is on offer for us as children of God is huge. We can go from a place where we feel like we've got to do it all to a place where actually we can let God completely open our lives up. There's freedom and actually there's joy in that place. There's joy in that place because anything could happen. Your whole life opens up before you. If you let that central decision to follow Jesus define all the rest, and you don't compartmentalize it off from your relationship with God, if you pour into the love that Jesus has for you and pour out your love to him, those moments of decision, they won't, they'll no longer be moments of anxiety or scrambling around for an answer. There'll be moments of connection of deep intimacy, where actually your love for Jesus is forged in those moments. That's been my experience. That's my testimony, that those moments, those small moments of obedience along the way where you just say, Jesus, I just don't know what to do. He meets us in those moments. And actually, the joy is in getting off the tightrope. Whatever your brain says about, I've got to prove myself, I've got to figure it out, even prove myself to God, and just step off that, free fall into his presence. That's the invitation this morning, to lean into the freedom that we've been offered, where we claw it back with control. He's inviting us to lean into the freedom, to walk with him as disciples with him.